بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا فأما بعد فقال تعالى يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون وقال يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما وقال نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وصحبه وسلم إن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدع وكل بدعة ضلالة my dear respected brothers, sisters, elders, as you are aware, we have started our after-school program and Alhamdulillah, we have received a tremendous response and that shows that you are concerned about your children. Now, this is an excellent thing given that our children are our investments in this life and the Akhirah. And therefore, let me speak to you about some essentials to raising and growing your investments, that is your children. The first and foremost and most important instruction is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who said, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara wa quduhan nas wal hijara عليها ملائكة غلاظ شداد لا يعصون الله ما أمرهم ويفعلون ما يمرون. الله سبحانه وتعالى جل جلاله said in Surah Al-Tahrim which means O oh, you who believe save yourselves and your families your spouses and children from a fire that is the fire of Jahannam whose fuel is men and stones humans and stones over which are appointed angels who are stern and severe and who do not disobey from executing the commands that they receive from Allah, but do what they are commanded. So this is our primary responsibility as parents, which supersedes everything else to protect our children from the fire of Jahannam. That responsibility is so important that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called children a test a fitna and Allah warned us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said wa'lamu anna ma amwalukum wa awladukum fitna wa anna Allah indahu ajrun azim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said which means and know that your possessions your wealth and your children are but a trial they are a test for you and that surely with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a mighty reward and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Taqabun, إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ فِتْنَةِ وَاللَّهُ عِنْدَهُ أَجْرٌ عَظِيمٌ Your wealth and your children are only a trial, they are only a test. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with him is a great reward. In the same Surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ayat before this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even called our spouses and children our enemies. 
And he said, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, inna min azwajikum wa awladikum aduwan lakum. Fahdharuhum, wa in ta'fu wa tasfahu wa taghfiru, fa inna allaha ghafurur rahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, oh you believe, verily among your spouses and your children, not all of them, but some of them, there are enemies for you. They are your enemies. Therefore, beware of them. But if you pardon them and overlook and forgive them, then verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is oft forgiving, most merciful. How are the enemies? Because they will force you or try to force you to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of these ayats underline the importance of raising pious children who are a credit to their parents and a means of sadaqah jariya for them. If we, raise, if we raise children who are highly successful in this life and the beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala both together, then we have done our job as parents well. And we can look forward to sadaqah jariya of that when our life here ends. The contrary is equally true. Let us ask what we are doing and where our focus and emphasis is with respect to our children. If we want the best for our children, which of course every parent does, then let us ask ourselves if our choices and decisions reflect that. There is no mystery in Islam. We have been told what is good and what is not good. The choice is ours and we will pay. Our children are our sadaqa jariya. In our materialistic orientation, we confuse learning, a trade or profession with education. As someone put it, the reality is that if a child can do advanced math, speak three languages and receive top grades, but cannot manage their emotions or practice conflict resolution or handle stress, none of that other stuff really matters. It doesn't matter. We have, in 2021, we had an absolutely tragic case of two youngsters in Texas who killed their whole family. They killed their parents, they killed their sister, they killed their grandmother, and then they killed each other. Entire family. And both of them were in Ivy League schools. The suicide note which one of them wrote was there on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. Somebody copied that and sent it to me. When I read that suicide note, I said, SubhanAllah, how is it possible that somebody with this level of intelligence, it was the most clear, the most lucid document that I have ever read. Absolutely clear. There's no confusion in the mind. And they did this. He even wrote why they did that. They said, you know, we thought, the two brothers, they said, we thought that if we just kill ourselves, then the people will blame our parents. We don't want them to go through that pain, so we kill all of them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect all of you and your children from these things. But if you think this won't happen, believe me, I have to ask you, what are you smoking? Seriously. This is the world we are living in. And the sooner we wake up to that, and the sooner we act to counter those effects, the happier we will be, the safer our children will be, the safer we will be. That is the purpose of the after-school maktab. Frankly, between you and me, I don't care if they don't memorize one ayat of the Quran more than they know already. As long as they get akhlaq, as long as they get the khashiyat of Allah in their hearts. 
as long as they get the love of Muhammad sallallahu in their hearts. You are not running this to pass and fail people and give them grades and give them presents and, and, and awards. No. We are running this thing to introduce them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who is Allah? Imam Ghazali in his book, Ihya Ulumuddin, The Revival of Religious Sciences, he tells us three very critical things. The first thing is he warns us against feeding our children haram. He says it becomes physically a part of them as they grow and becomes permeated into their very fiber. So eating halal is a very critical part of our religion. This religion, this, this relationship between what we consume and our spiritual health is very well established. Al-Khushairi in his book Al-Risala Al-Khushairiya says that the Sahaba of Rasulullah were more concerned about their food than about Qiyamul Layl. And he said the reason for that is because if the food was wrong, there would be no Qiyamul Layl. They would not be able to pray if they were eating something which was not lawful. Now in our materialistic world and culture and way of thinking, we look for solutions to our problems in purely materialistic ways and means. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us the reason for problems. He said, Jalla Jalaluhu Zahar al Fasadu fil Barri wal Bahari bima kasabat aidin nati liuzikahum baadaladi amilu la allahum yarjiun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Evil trials, tribulations, calamities, sins have appeared on the land and the sea because of what the hands of people, the hands of men have earned by oppression and evil. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows this to happen, He allows the suffering. So that they may taste a part of that which they have done in order that they may repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even in that there is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is there for those who know, what, who know what to see. My brothers and sisters, you must understand this that our actions have consequences over and beyond what is visible. Like the theory of the butterfly effect. Our actions have more than one consequence. Many of them unintended. We are a product of our thinking, which is a product of our raising, upbringing. There's a widespread misunderstanding that we need not check whether what we are eating is halal or not if a Muslim gives it to us. People sometimes quote opinions of different scholars to support this. The first thing to remember is that we are personally, personally responsible for our actions. The second thing is that an opinion doesn't change the law. To eat what you don't know is against the hadith of Rasulullah who told us on the authority of none less than Abu Muhammad al-Hassan ibn Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhuma, the grandson of Rasulullah he said I memorized from Rasulullah leave that which makes you doubt for that which does not make you doubt. And this is a Hassan Sahih hadith in Tirmidhi al-Nasai. And this is against, to eat doubtful stuff is against a hadith which is one of the three greatest hadith in the entire collection of hadith. An-Nuban bin Bashir radiallahu anhu reported Rasulullah said the lawful is clear and the unlawful is clear. Al-halal ubayyin wa haram ubayyin wa bainahuma mushtabihat. He said the halal is clear and the haram is clear and between the two of them are doubtful matters about which many people do not know. 
Thus, he who avoids doubtful matters clears himself in regard to his religion and his honor. And he who falls into doubtful matters will fall into haram. As the shepherd who pastures, who grazes his flock near a sanctuary, all but grazing therein, he is on the boundary. So what happens? Some sheep will go into the king's sanctuary. Has to happen. Verily, every king has a sanctum, has a sanctuary, and the sanctum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are his prohibitions. Verily, in the body is a piece of flesh, which if sound, the entire body is sound, and if corrupt, the entire body is corrupt. Truly, it is the heart. And this is the Mutafaqun Ali hadith agreed upon Bukhari and Muslim. The basic Islamic and logical principle about what to do when in doubt is to clarify the doubt before you act. This is a simple sign of intelligence. Not even haram halal. Anything which is doubtful, what will you do? Just do it. That means you are insane. You clarify first. Get rid of the doubt. It's totally illogical. It is totally illogical to act on something about which you have a doubt. To tell someone that they must not question something about which they are doubtful, but to go ahead and act on the doubtful matter without clarification is total and complete nonsense and garbage. Only someone who is deficient in intelligence will believe that or act on it. To apply that to something like dietary laws, which are a part of our aqidah. Please understand this, the dietary laws are aqidah. They are aqidah. It's not because the animal is completely blood dry and so on and there's no blood. There are many ways of achieving that. You do not have to say Bismillah, does not have to be a Muslim. You do not have to slit the throat. So when you are doing that, you are doing that because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered it. That makes it a matter of aqidah. It's not a matter of scientific principle. Please understand this. If you play with the aqidah, we are playing with our iman. What makes something halal? Only if it is slaughtered by a Muslim, by cutting the carotid arteries, the jugular vein, the esophagus and the windpipe. And saying, Bismillah, Bismillah, Allah Akbar, at least Bismillah. Anything which is slaughtered in any way other than this is haram. My job is to inform you. To do it or not to do it is your choice. I'm not forcing anybody. But I want to be very clear. When you and I stand before Allah, you will not be able to say that he did not say it clearly. I was confused. Is anybody confused? Allah is witness. It is our job before eating to ascertain that this zabiha was done with meat that we are eating. Have no hesitation to ask anyone whether the meat they are offering you is zabiha or not. If you don't want to ask, maybe you feel embarrassed or something, don't eat it. Eat fish, eat eggs, eat vegetables, whatever. All this is better than red meat anyway for your health. But that's not why you're doing it. And just remind yourself one very simple thing. Hindus, Brahmins, they do it all their lives. All their lives. To please their gods. As Muslims, if we cannot even hold ourselves back for one meal, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. أستغفر الله العظيم. إن لله وإن إليه راجعون. What more can I say? أقول قولي هذا أستغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم.
الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلاة والسلام على شرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا فما بعد قال تعالى إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد إمام غزالي continues and he says the second thing he says the real secret of the proper upbringing of children is protecting them from bad company today we have a double whammy in the past bad company meant actual individual human beings who are doubtful right today we've got this the smartphone in the hands of stupid people which opens the whole world really we have to wake up and do something not just wake up and still lie in bed the qualities imam ghazali says the qualities and habits of a child's companions and friends will necessarily have an impression on their own way of thinking and behavior so finding good friends for our children is one of the best kept secrets for growing and raising good kids and that is why this maktab is an amazing opportunity for children to make good friends in an islamic atmosphere learning islam given what they are exposed to in their schools both what they are actively taught as well as the culture that they are exposed to having a daily detox after school is critical to survival the third important thing is to teach our children good manners adab abdullah bin mubarak rahmatullahi one of the greatest of the scholars of the tabi'un he says i spent 30 years studying adab only then did i open the book the mother of imam malik bin anas rahmatullahi the great imam she used to tell him she used to dress him up to go to the to to the school to the maktab which was in masjid nabawi sharif they didn't just go anyway you know any kind of clothes and go and lie down and feet somewhere and hands up no she used to dress him up she used to dress him up in proper clean neat clothes and she would tie a turban on his head she didn't just send him with a head uncovered or even a cap she used to tie a turban on his head and she would say to him take from the adab and the akhlaq of rabiatur rai who was his teacher he says take from the akhlaq and the adab of rabiatur rai before you take from his ilm she's talking to a little boy abu hurairah radhiyallahu anhu said that rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said if one has good manners one may attain the same level of merit as the one who spends his whole night in prayer Abu Hurairah radhiyallahu anhu also reported he said I heard Abu Qasim and Abu Qasim is the kunya of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said the best among you in Islam are those with the best manners and Malik radhiyallahu anhu reported Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said I have been sent to perfect good manners I remind you on myself that values cannot be legislated they must be inculcated 
children listen with their eyes they don't care what you say until they see what you do i never failed to be astonished at how early in life children start picking up behaviors and manners and start emulating them we must be extremely careful with what we say or do because a child may be watching i recall the it's amusing but it's true one of uh, a little child and this is a true story and i'm deliberately fogging it so you don't start guessing who it is there's a little child who went to the beach with his grandfather and he comes back and he says the beach is full of astatharola girls hmm how quickly they pick up things i recall a story a friend of mine told me he said he was in japan and late night meeting and then they were going back home and his friend was driving japanese guy was driving the car he was sitting with him he said it was late at night there was not a soul on the road nobody they came to a red light and his friend stopped so my friend said to him jokingly said go on you know there's nobody here guess what the man said he said what if a child is watching hmm he's not even saying he's not a muslim he's not saying what if allah is watching no. what if a child is watching what will that child learn i always thought that was such an amazing response and i asked myself are we so conscious in all my life of having lived on three continents working with multiple races nationalities ages cultures religions If you ask me to name the most important element of success I will say it is good manners. Good manners help us to get along with people. It doesn't matter what else you have if you don't have good manners. If you don't have social skills, if you cannot get along with people, you will fail. I've seen this time and again. Talented people getting frustrated because they cannot succeed in their careers or their marriages or their politics. And the reason is always the same. they cannot get along with others they have no manners when i was growing up in india they used to say the non muslim they used to say muslim children have the best manners if you see the life of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and look for the secret of his success in inspiring and leading an amazing diversity of people and being able to change their beliefs and behavior which was the result of centuries of tribalism mutual suspicion a culture of racism and successfully turning them around it was his affability his social skills his softness and good manners and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was witness to this he bore witness to this and he said fa bima rahmatin min allah linta lahum walau kunta faddan qalid alqalbi lan faddu min hawlik فَعْفُ عَنْهُمْ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُتَوَكِّلِينَ الله سبحانه وتعالى said which means and by the mercy of Allah you dealt with them gently and had you been severe and harsh hearted they would have broken away from around you so overlook their faults and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness for them and consult them in affairs Then when you have taken a decision put your trust in Allah and certainly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who put their trust in him Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us the secret 
of good relations. Overlook people's faults. Catch them doing right, not doing wrong. Be soft with them. Forgive them. Make dua for them. And consult them. And take them into confidence for your decisions. This does not mean that you hide the truth or change it to suit people. It means that you speak the truth but do it in a nice way. You treat people with respect. Especially the ones you don't need to. People who have, don't have the power and so on and so forth. Rasulullah did not need to seek anyone's advice. He was receiving the wahi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him to consult with his companions. This is to show his respect for them. Which would bind them to him and be the cohesive force to keep the brotherhood of faith, the ummah intact. The key is to ask ourselves, do I want people to consider what I tell them? Do I want them to really think about what I tell them? Or do I want to force my view on them? I want to end with a story, again a true story, which shows how small children learn when they have thoughtful adults who are willing to teach them. Sahal bin Abdullah al-Tustari, Rahmatullah he says, when I was three years old, three years old, he said I would wake up at night and watch my maternal uncle, Muhammad bin Siwar, Rahmatullah praying. So his uncle was praying to Hajjud and this little kid would open his eyes and watch him. One day my uncle said to me, do you remember Allah? Do you make zikr of Allah? He's saying this to, to a three-year-old kid. He said, do you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created you? So this little kid, he says, how should I do that? Imagine, this is a serious conversation between an adult man and a three-year-old kid. Right? This is our problem. Our problem is, our modern life has postponed childhood. So we have 17, 18, 19-year-old kids. I remember I was going to school once in the bus and one guy was my age or something. I must have been maybe 13 or 14. This guy gets in and in those days for children you had half ticket in India. So he said to the conductor, uh, half ticket. So I'll translate later. The conductor says to him, wait, the badmash, shadi kare to do ka baap hota, half ticket tarif jayi. He said, you... He said, you are a scoundrel. If I, if you get married, you will have two children. You want half, do you want half ticket? We postpone childhood. We don't give responsibility. We don't treat them with. But we tell stories. Muhammad bin Qasim was leading an army at, at the age of 17. Very nice. Nice to know that. What's your kid doing? What's the good of the story? What shall I do with it? Tariq bin Ziyad was doing this. Very nice. What, what is your kid doing at this age? Your kid is a kid. In his late teens, in his twenties, he's a kid. And we are not ashamed of that. So here, he's a three-year-old. So he said, do you make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created you? So his little child says, well, how should I do that? So his uncle says to him, every night when you are getting changed, meaning his mother would be changing him to go to bed. He says, say in your heart without moving your tongue. Allah is with me. Allah is watching me. Allah is witnessing me. Watching is watching. Witnessing is recording. He says, say in your heart. To a three-year-old kid. Say in your heart. Allah is with me. Allah is watching me. Allah is witnessing me. 
So he says, Halbin Abdullah, Rahmatullah, he said, I started doing this. And then I said to my uncle, I've been doing it. He did it for you know a few weeks. His uncle said, now consciously do it seven times every day, every night. He said, I did that for some more time. And then my uncle said, now do it 11 times every night. And he said, I started tasting the sweetness of that in my heart. Three-year-old kid. And after that, his uncle says to me, after a year of this, he says, my uncle said to me, remember what I taught you? And persist in it until you enter your grave. Because this will benefit you in this life and the hereafter. And Sahal Vindustari says, I, I maintained this practice and, I've, and I tasted the sweetness of it in my innermost soul. And then one day he says, my uncle says to me, Oh Sahal, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with someone, is watching him and witnessing him, and the person has this awareness, he says, can that person disobey Allah? Can that person ever disobey Allah? He knows Allah is with me. Right now. And Allah is watching me. And Allah is witnessing. He's recording everything I'm saying and doing. Can that person ever disobey Allah? And he says, beware of disobedience. Beware of disobedience. And that's the advice I gave myself and you. Because Islam is obedience. ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر لنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار يا هيو يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث أصلح لنا شأننا كل لا إله إلا أنت ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تقبل لنا وترحمنا لنكوننا من الخاسرين آمين يا رب العالمين يا عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يعمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتائز القربى وينحان الفحشاء والمنكر والباغي يعيدكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم عدو يستجيب لكم ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تسنون أطلب السلام